If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's Thursday. It is podcast time. What's the crack? Head the ball. The crack is mighty as always. Actually, just before we start, I just want to welcome Shauna and all of our new Amsterdam listeners. Woo! Do we have do we have a gang in Amsterdam? We, apparently we do. Shauna's been Plugging away at it over there. Good for her. Sean of the checkers in the post. <laughs> <laughs> what about the football? Starts tomorrow? Well, the Euros. I'm I know we're not the, there. I know. But... I know. Jeez, why would we be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. We were brutal. It's, it's a building phase we're on. You think so? I do. I do. I do. Big game Sunday, though. England versus Croatia. Oh, yeah. My Croatia, obviously. Your Croatia. Three lines on the chest. Yeah, well, the Croatians have the Shakovnica, oh, right. which is the chessboard thing, which is a little bit too fascistic for my liking. Oh, right. Yeah, because the Croats have this flag with the chessboard. You know, yeah, yeah, what's that mean, actually? And that's the, they call the Shakovnica, uh, which is chess. Shakmati is chess in Croatian. Right. And it's a little bit verging towards the, not um, Ustase, which was the Croatian fascists from years ago. Right. But a lot of Croats, I know, would say a little bit too full on. But England look good, unfortunately. Yeah. But then again, the great fortunate thing about England looking good is when they lose, the fall is even more precipitous. I'm for England. I know you are. Yeah, I know, I'm for England. I, I can never bring him. I understand. You know the players. But yeah, exactly, exactly. It's your man's waistcoat I can't get. Yeah, he's sharp Take the waistcoat <laughs> off. But that'll be a good game. Is yeah. we playing Turkey tonight or tomorrow yeah. night? Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. But what's also happening and starting tomorrow is the G7. And it's something I want to ask you about. In Cornwall, John, have you ever been to Cornwall? No, I've spent a bit of time out in the West Country, but not down in Cornwall. Cornwall is the epicentre of the British economic boom at the moment. You know, the UK is having this unbelievable recovery from COVID. Yeah. And where it's most evident, apparently, according to lots of English people, is in Cornwall. How come? Because the prices of houses are going through the roof. The amount, the ratio of Range Rover discoveries <laughs> to people has gone through the roof right. in Cornwall. All the poshies are all moving down. It's like it's a, it's a, it, it's the decampment of 
posh West London yeah. to Cornwall is a big, big thing. And of course, Cornwall is amongst the poorest regions in Britain. Poorest. Yeah. Voted overwhelmingly for Brexit, despite the fact that they get more European money than almost anywhere else in England. Is that right? Yeah. And then they kind of said, ooh, nobody told us that. Because they're a very depressed region. I mean, it's very, very far away. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a good idea. It's probably yeah. the reason I've never been there. I actually. would like to go there. Everyone says it's really, really beautiful. Mm. And I only remember learning about it in school. Tin mines. You remember that? Remember we learned about yeah. tin mines yeah, yeah, in Cornwall? Yeah, yeah. Old Ark. Yeah. And of course, that fucker Trevelyan. Oh, he was Cornwall. Yes. Trevelyan, one of those sort of Llewellyn type Trevelyan. These, yeah. these sort of Welsh, that sort of, that form of Irish, a form of Celtic language. Yeah. Trevelyan was from Cornwall. Wow. And uh, a man who explicitly, explicitly accelerated the famine. Yes, he by did. By saying that basically this was God's wrath against the indigent Hadis. Right. So we're, are we ambiguous, ambivalent on the Corn, Corn, Cornwallians? What's the, the Celtic connection there? Because aren't they well, part of the kind of the Breton, Cornwall, Wales? Well, you've got Breton, Wales, the, the, two branches of, of Celtic languages. One is Breton, Cornwall, Welsh and Manx, yeah. which are all related. And the other one is Scots Gaelic yeah. and are Irish. Yeah. And at some stage they split off completely. But, you know, there was, there, was a, there was a big Cornwellian revolution in England in the 14th century. You know, right. they, they, so they, they regarded themselves, and, and apparently up until the late 19th century, Cornish was well-spoken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quite That's widely true. spoken. That's true, yeah. Not anymore, though. But anyway, the G7 is there. G7. And it's a, <laughs> Sorry, God, yeah, God, we were talking about G7. We've gone off. We've gone off. What are we like? What are we like? <laughs> let me, let me, let's bring it back. So the big thing that I'm interested in is this new corporate tax rate. Because the John Davis Corporation uh, has been avoiding tax for many years. <laughs> <It's> been, <laughs> I'm bunjacked now. Exactly. I've been deploying my capital elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a big deal. The, the Yanks are deriving this idea that there will be a 15% flat corporate tax around the world. Yeah. The G7 are going to go with it simply because most G7 if you think about it, countries are capital exporters, yeah. right? They have the capital, they export it, right? Capital importers are poorer countries like ourselves, or we certainly were at the time. So capital importers are countries that say, you know what, if people want to deploy their capital here and we tax it efficiently mm. in our eyes, you big guys lose. Mm. But now the big guys are saying, we want our money back. So the key thing is, what they're saying is that there's going to be a flat rate of 15% around the world. But more importantly for Ireland, yeah, that's what companies, to, companies will now pay tax where they earn tax. Now, this is a big problem for us. Not a big problem. It's a problem for us, which is the following. That if you are, for example, a Google and you're selling ads out of Ireland, yeah. right, out of the Silicon Dock, yeah. But those ads are being placed on French sites, yeah. okay, because France has a population of 60 million. You're then getting your advertising revenue from French people, but you're booking those profits in Ireland. So the French have argued that we're okay with you guys making profit in France, but you've got to pay tax in France on French income. Yeah. And therefore, of course, we will see the flow of profits to Ireland diminished profoundly by all the big tech. So you take Facebook, right? Mm. Facebook, EMEA, they call it, Europe, Middle East, East Africa, Africa, right? Yeah. 
based in Ireland, Facebook ads in, let's say, Germany are actually ads where the income should be garnered by the German tax tax authorities, but they're actually garnered by us. So that profoundly inflates our tax take here. Then the question is, and it's an interesting question, whether or not that will have a profound impact on the Irish tax take or whether or not the fact that they're looking for a 3% increase in corporation tax from our 12% Mm. to 15% will have a material positive impact on us. Yeah. So I think it's up in the, it's kind of in the lap of the gods now because it could actually end up that more tax revenue comes here when we kind of centralize the whole thing simply because more companies will locate here. There'll be a smaller change in the tax. There'll be smaller divestment of the tax. Sorry, why would more companies relocate here? Well, because the idea would be you're, you can either locate in Ireland mm. or where else are you going to go? Right? Well, if you go to, for instance, if you go to Germany, you're still going to be on 15%. But you won't be because the German, the German, this is, this is the thing, the German tax rate, corporation tax is about 30%. Yeah, right? but if that's been reduced to... But it won't be, you see, because the Germans won't say, ah, well, look, that's fine, we'll half our corporation tax. Where do, where do they get the rest of their tax? So for Germany to half its corporation tax today yeah. will mean they'll have to increase income tax tomorrow right. to actually balance the books. So they ain't going to do this. So there's, there's a lot of permutation. So one of the reasons that lots and lots, the Ireland has always said, harmonize tax by all means, but harmonize down. Right. And lots of countries don't want to harmonize corporation tax, A, because they get a lot of tax from corporation tax, yeah. and B, because they're ideological. So if you begin to reduce corporation tax, you've either got to raise tax on income or other wealth. I, un- I understand that, but correct me if I'm wrong here, but then there's that balance between attracting yeah. more inward investment and more HQs of, of the big tech companies so that they have the ability to raise more tax. So this, is, this, is, this goes back to my idea of if you're a capital exporter, right? Mm. You're a large country. You're not really in the business of attracting in capital because you're actually in the business of right. exporting okay. capital, right? So we've got to divide the world into two, Right. So your Germany's, your France's, all these countries, right, are capital exporters, right? Smaller countries are capital importers. So what it means is we'll be in increased competition with the capital importers. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, our biggest competitor is the UK because the UK is an anomaly. It should be a capital exporter because it's really big, but it runs what's called a current account deficit, which means it's importing capital all the time. And the Brits, I think, are our biggest competitor in this area. And and the reason is very simple. Both both economies are really quite similar. Mm. But their tax rate will be the same as ours over the course of the next mm. five years. Then the question is, do they have the brain power? Do they have the skill power? Do they have all these things? And do they have the access to market? And that still Which has to come do, up. Do you know we were talking the other week about the so-called Brexit plan or not, as, a, as the case? Oh, Robert people. Lind. Yeah, he was very yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so could this be... If, part of the long-term strategy is to reduce the corporation tax in the UK so they are in direct competition with us and then suck out uh, Facebook and Google. All those things. I mean, Robert was saying it's a very simple but really difficult transition the UK is trying to make. So they're trying to move away from the financial capital, financial services, to something else, to more manufacturing. Yeah, right. but it could, you could imagine Google being based in Birmingham or, you know, Bradford or somewhere you like that. You could. However, the UK have made a fatal mistake of 
actually having quotas on immigrants, right? Which mm. is a mad idea. So why would you go to Birmingham where you have to fill out a visa every year as a French, German, Italian engineer, right? Yeah. I don't, I think the, the biggest impediment to the UK doing well is not the tax on capital. It's the impediment to travel and immigration of talented people. And this right. is what I believe is the problem. So tell us this, Pascal Donoghue, in his capacity as the chair of the European... The Euro Group. The Euro Group, is that what it is? I can never remember. But anyway. Yeah, they're a really interesting band, <laughs> uh, the Euro Group. They are, they're a boy band, actually. Of, from the Eurovision. From the Eurovision, exactly. They're the people who didn't do well in the Eurovision, they become the Euro Group, right? So what was that band, the Travelling Wilburys? Oh man, they were great. I thought they were awful. They were a super band. Jesus, John. Okay, we're going to play out with some music. I'm going to educate yeah, and it's going to be the Travelling Wilburys. It's not anyway. going to be the Travelling Wilburys. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So he must have been walking a kind of a very fine line in that because he's representing the Euro group, but also Ireland and defending yeah. the, the low corporate yeah, tax no, rate. Yeah, we're not so out of line. I mean, we have allies in, for example, our friends, the Dutch, we've been bigging up for the last year. They are very much in the low tax world. The Swedes are very much in the low tax world. But yeah, it's a, very, it's a difficult one for him to negotiate. But I would say that in the Department of Finance or the Department of Revenue, yeah. they are sign a huge, huge sigh of relief that the American okay. plan is 15%. So basically what you think is that- Oh, because it was going to be 25 or something, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it's going to be much, much higher. Yeah. And there's a lots of negotiation. So I would say they're doing the paddy thing. Cards close to the chest, not saying much, yeah. seeing how bigger countries react. In a way, it's kind of funny. Again, the Brits are on our side in this because the Brits are negotiating for lower tax. Yeah. And the Brits, despite being out of the European Union, are still very much leading that. The G7. G7. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one for Ireland. But again, I come back to tax is part of a cost base. But the interesting thing about the G7 thing for Ireland is tax is only half the story. Another major story is how do we house people? So if we get it right, right, and if we weather this storm, and if we are already established as a location for multinational investment, then we think, okay, where are the people going to live? And this brings us right back, as always, yeah. John, to the dilemma that JM and his generation are having, which is how can we find place to live at a reasonable price in this country. Well, actually, Mac, now we have a guy called Brian Moore from Gavin Build and Design. He's a builder. He's been in the building trade for 30, 40 years. He's also a brilliant designer and stuff, but he's worked, interestingly, in the building trade in America, in the UK, in the Middle East, and obviously here. But he's got some really interesting views on how the building trade can be more innovative. But before we go to Brian, you know what's really interesting, John, is that we talk about innovation and disruption, mm -hmm. right? Innovation and disruption normally leads to reductions in prices. So what basically happens in all industries is as industries become more innovative, more creative, using new technologies, yeah. the price of the product falls, right? And you get this huge disruption. What I found amazing in Ireland is the building industry 
has had no disruption as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. They're still yeah. wedded to the same ways of doing things. So if Brian has some solutions to disruption in order to actually create a much more vibrant market that can create houses, cheaper houses for yeah. more people, bring it on. Let's see what he has to say. Brian, you've been working in construction for what, 30 odd years all around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This country is bedeviled by this idea of expensive building. You know, you hear all the time, we cannot build a two-bedroom flat for less than X or less than Y. Is there a way of building, in your opinion, with all your experience and what you've seen, cheaper homes in this country? Both three-bed semis if we need them, apartments, big apartments, small apartments for young people, for old people. Is there a way of doing it cheaper? Yes, is, is the short answer, David. If we decide that we want to build houses in that volume uh, and figure out a way of doing it, we can do it. In the 1950s and 60s, we, we had massive social problems with houses. And a lot of those houses that were built at the time were made in concrete molds. They were made fast. You know, there was a system. They weren't necessarily, you know, uh, huge design features, but they provided the bedrock of, of houses in Marino and Ballyferm and Crumlin, all those estates, and they all had green spaces. I mean, Herbert Sims was involved uh, as the, leader. the planning, the architect, That's the right. town architect, yeah, 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 at the time. And it was there was a great vision in terms of okay, and you had, uh, I think it was in the nineteen sixties, you had some of the tenements collapsing, and again there was pressure on the, I think it was the Fianna Fáil government at the time. So what are we going to do about housing? This this is something that's been with us generationally. The main big five construction companies always had you know, uh, could count on, a, you know, a certain yeah. portion of the turnover was that. You had, by mandated, you had at least 20% apprentices on there. So if you had two decorators, you had an apprentice decorator and so on and so forth. So you, you had guys being trained through the system as well. So there was a there was a system there which worked. What's the difference between then and now then? I, I don't know if it's a, you know, you go back then to the 90s when the days of the mass five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand housing schemes seemed to fade away. I don't know if it was a political decision at the time, possibly, you know, that it was it was now being outsourced to developers. In other words, let the market deal with it, as in the state doesn't seem mm. to have a role in it anymore. Yeah. I mean, but the skills that all the county councils had in terms of, you know, architects, planners, building control, they don't really exist to the same level that did in the 1960s, you know. John and I talk a lot about the podcast of disruption, shumpet or yeah. technological change better ways of doing things, et cetera. You know, what has happened in building in Ireland that seems to have stopped innovating? Why is that? I mean, well, is there, can you build these houses cheaper? You can. I mean, it's, it's like the building industry at the moment is stuck. By and large, I mean, the, the vast majority of houses are still made with blocks, which is blocks have to be delivered. You know, there's the sand, cement, there's mortar, they're made, they're, they're physically put into position and so on. I mean, timber framing is, 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 is around, but not of the scale that we need. In Germany and most of Europe, timber frame is the way houses are manufactured. So same as same as the same. So timber frame houses, you're, they're built off site and, and plonked yeah. into a site. Ray O'Rourke uh, is probably in his early eighties. The founder of, of Lang O'Rourke, he talked about you know the the days of the bricklayer are numbered, and he saw it then, and he's saying that look, we we need to build a factory, and they got funding from the British government. Um, and they were looking oh, at they, it. They've done this new they, they actually are, it's either operational or very near to being operational, where they have a target of 10,000 housing units a year Okay. out of the one factory. Now, using a combination initially of labor, but then into robotics in partnership with automotive companies. 
Okay, so your Audis and your Mercs and these yeah. guys are working with them. Correct. So like the like a production line. Correct. It, okay. It's like if you look at the original Model T uh, line uh, in 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 the US in nineteen, I think it was oh eight to eleven. Yeah. I mean, they, they had lots of cranes and things were maybe moved around and so on and so forth. And there was a process. What we need to do is say, right, okay, we are where we are. We need to build a very large factory. Let's say, let's say it's in Tullamore or somewhere where, you know, the, previously the board Mona workforce was, was hit or mm-hmm. somewhere right. who's a big employment yeah. black spot. Ideally in the middle of Ireland, it can, be, it can be fed around then to the various parts of the island. A huge factory. It's going to be part bonded or funded by the Irish state Okay, initially with maybe one of the leading housing modular companies in the world who provide the backbone. Who, who would they be? I mean, who are who are the big players? In, in Ireland, we had Century Homes with Jerry McGaughy, who's actually doing a huge factory at the moment in the States. Right. He would be one of your first port of call. He has the experience. He's Irish and he, he's been doing it in Northern Ireland. Um, so the, the modular aspect uh, would be one, Okay. And combined with the automotive industry, so you'd be getting in engineers from the automotive industry to say, look, we we have a two-year plan here where we need to take this process from being manual to labour. Yeah. With our target is 10,000 units a year. And let's say for for that we have four different designs, which are designed by leading Irish architects. It's design A, B, C, and D. Um, And within, you know, there's a certain amount of design variance, so everything isn't cookie cutter. And there we have some amazing architects in the country. And said, right, you need to design this that it is modular and it's available to be built quick. This is a national crisis. We need you to come up with four. Yeah, yeah exactly. Four like different It's an designs. emergency, yeah. Yeah, it's a national emergency. You come up with that template design. That feeds in then into the into the manufacturing process. We, we build a factory. The thing is, if we don't do it, you know, it's, it's say it costs a billion euro, like a mad figure, like a billion euro. In the end of the day, it's going to cost us more because we've nowhere for people to live. Yeah. yeah. Industry, people won't move here because their staff won't be able to find houses. Yeah. You know, the so the that's the first stage is the is the is the automation. Then we move on to three D printing, so which is already happening in in America and China, whereby you can actually three D print a house. Wow! So yeah, you 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 can actually download the the videos from the likes of companies like Icon, mm-hmm. um, um, or Mighty Buildings is another one. And what happens is you've got this kind of like a crane, and concrete poured into it, and it it follows the design. And builds it up in layer upon layer and layer. There's no labor involved. It's just a robotic arm. And that builds up the arms. And it builds up the entire house. Yeah, so the, the, this oh, wow. costs much, much less, obviously. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think the there was a report in, they did one there for the US Army. And I think that the cost of the concrete in the arm was like $5,000 to build a one-bedroom apartment. Wow. Yeah. So, the, the, you, so the price, in the same way as the price, for like like the other, uh, the other day we were doing something on, on music, right? Mm. And the, you know, the price of the CD goes from 15 euros yeah. to zero. Yeah. Right? Because of the change in technology and the Correct. change in the mindset and the change in the way. Now, of course, there's all, there's winners who are yeah. the consumer. There are losers who are the industry or people who are existing in the industry. But then the industry grows again. Yeah. So you're saying we could build houses using technology, which is readily available, Yes. For a fraction, a mul- a tiny fraction yeah. of the cost. We, we need to be producing houses in and around that price point of 230 to 250,000. Affordable. Yeah, like two times a family two, income. Two or two and a half times a family income. And, and that, that's where and you that can to, be done. That can be done, yeah. The, the other part about it is, is, is the use of existing buildings that we have. We have, I think the last census, we have something like over 200,000 
Empty buildings. Empty buildings. I mean, which can be retrofitted at a minimal cost, easily, efficiently, and brought back into use. Well, dereliction is my bugbear. Dereliction and and empty sites. And And, and if you were in Paris, these would be the best apartments. Yeah. But it's such an opportunity because we don't have to build anything. It's already there. Yeah. And it can be done again. It it can be done again quickly, quickly uh, and efficiently. Just on that point as well, can we retrofit the office blocks? Yes, we can. And it's not a cheap thing to do. Look, again, it's not as if you've got a blank field. The structure's there, the steelwork is there, you know, find it lead reconfiguration. And there's probably 20 engineers and architects who will tell you the reasons why you can't do it. Right. But there's as many builders will say, well, okay, we have the walls, we have the floors, we have a roof. Yeah. Therefore, you know. We have, we can work. We can work with this, you know. Right. But look, it's like. Here are the people you want to hear from it. If if you want to do it, you can do it. It, It's that simple. Right. Your honest belief is that this 50,000 houses, homes, will not be built. Therefore, people listening to this show who are waiting for that acceleration of building to get capacity, to get quality, to get something on offer, you think that they're being sold a pop? We need to have an honest conversation with the Irish public and say, look, the the problems in the industry are deep and they're structural and they're not going to be solved in the next year to two years. We need to have a housing SAR, somebody... uh, like say, like John Moran out of the Department of Finance, who is purely focused on d- delivering a a vision, first of all. Now, this can't be reports and committees and more bullshit. It has to be something which has to be acted upon very quickly. And mm-hmm. we, need a, we need a factory. We need a center of building excellence, you know, whereby we can, we can start to develop techniques quickly and efficiently. We need a partnership with a, an automotive company. We need to start saying, if everybody's saying we can't do it, we say, we can, yeah. and we will, because we have to. If we don't, this country is going to have another problem. I mean, the government recently said, you know, it's now our first priority. That's not good enough for the people who just want a home. Well, we're concluding the expression that the role of the political leader is to understand the anxiety of the people and do something about it. Yeah. And that's it. We need a vision, and we need backbone. And a kick in the hole. Brian, listen, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A kick in the hole, as you say. Well, it's, it's a technical term. It's, yes. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the term that I, when I try to get my young fella out of bed, <laughs> uh, there's two attitudes. There's one of the safety, safety. Did you come in late last night, darling? It was really late. Were you drinking too much? And the other one was give me a kick in the hole. A root. Yeah. Actually, it's a root. Anyway, Brian was really interesting there. Well, I think two things that Brian's saying fascinate me. One is the idea that if we are serious about building 55,000 homes a year, we've got to industrialize the process. Yes. So what is actually happening? The building industry in Ireland is like a cottage industry, right? So everybody's working in little, small, isolated groups, every Mm. developer, every builder, every subcontractor, right? What he's saying is that you've got to move from a cottage industry to an efficient production line of building houses in one big factory. Yeah. So you build like, and it's kind of saying, like a bit like Henry Ford, you're going to have as many models as you want, as Mm. long as they're black. Yeah, yeah. And the Model T, right? Mm. You're going to have like four models of houses and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. And that's how we're going to break this cycle of cottage industry, because in Ireland, you have this crazy cycle in the building industry. Cottage industries, heavily leveraged, highly exposed to economic cycles. You get booms, they fly off the handle, they do plain, they borrow loads of money, they produce loads, then you get crashes, they all disappear. Yeah. And what he's saying is that the crash in 2008 destroyed the industry and left it in smithereens. There was nobody with the capacity. So this is the idea that you've got to have the capacity. That's the first thing. I thought that was... Yeah. Really interesting. But that demands political vision to say we're serious about this, mm. that we cannot fix housing based on cottage industries. We've got to fix housing based on one or two or three or whatever highly centralized production facilities that will use things like 3D printing and all that sort of stuff yeah. to, to reduce that. Well, I, I, I mean, on, on that, I, I thought it was really interesting him saying that there are no apprentices or very few apprentices. Yeah. So there's, so the likes of Brian and other builders are kind of physically getting older. There's nobody coming yeah. in behind to actually fill in the gap and learn the new trade. And But you can do that quickly. You know, you can turn yeah. industries around. Like, and again, I look at, for example, this country has no right to have a pharmaceutical industry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, no yeah. right to have one, right? We didn't have a pharmaceutical industry in 1990. And we hardly had one in 2000. And now we have maybe the most productive pharmaceutical industry in the world. Just going back to the corporate tax thing that we were talking about earlier. But it goes back, you can train people, you can change things if you are serious about it. Mm. We would never have had a pharmaceutical industry or a computer industry if we were basing it on one man and a dog subcontractors in Ireland trying to actually build computers. You've got to attract in the big guys. That's what he's saying. Do a deal with Mercedes and impose upon the building industry the rigor of proper systems. Yeah. So, for example, in Ireland, 
You've got the pharmaceutical industry. You've got the Pfizer's. They're bringing the best American management know-how, supply chain management to Ireland, and they're changing it, not from some great genius of the Irish people, but they're just saying, this is how it's done. Yeah. Exactly the same idea. So that's what I like. So you kind of multinationalize housing. You take housing out of the hands of Irish builders, not because Irish builders are bad, but because they're constrained in terms of their capital outlay, their vision, their ability to implement things. And you say, we're going to take this seriously and we're going to fix this. But, uh, you know, a a really good example, which Brian mentioned earlier on in a pre-discussion, but he talked about the big project of building Ardna Crusher, which was the big hydroelectric. Yes. And he... This uh, is the Stalinist approach to... So it's it's always... always, Ardna Crusher always reminds me of... Stalin was great because he... Built great factories oh, no, and no, dams, you, and he, he dammed the Urals, and he but, dammed the tonight. But it was the fact that that was done in conjunction with Siemens. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it's that kind of thing that you're talking about, bringing in yeah. the big boys and with the, the know-how and all the rest. And There was I, also a fuck the Brits idea going on there. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Because, of course, after the First World War, right, the Brits are down on the... On the Germans, big time, right? Yeah. Demanding reparations, of course, yeah, all yeah, that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. thing. And of course, the Irish decide to get the Germans in to build the biggest post-independence infrastructure project. Yeah, But I don't care. It, was, it worked. It yeah. worked. And he, yeah. no, he's right. I mean, you can do it. Yeah. But, and, and no, actually, there's no but. No, that's a fair point. It's a very, very fair point. And you can imagine taking that Ardner Crusher idea superimposing it with the multinational ideas, we talked about the G7, and internationalizing the Irish property market. Because one of the problems in Ireland is when the international guys come in, things work better. When it's left with the local guys... Hold on, hold on. You're not talking about, when you say international, the Irish property market, you're not talking about the kind of vulture fund No, no, the opposite. The production process. Right. Which is, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Screw the vulture funds. The last thing we need is finance. Finance Mm. is everywhere. We need production know-how. Yeah. And again, that's the one part. The second part is we need to make land expensive. Now, this sounds really weird, right? And this is the whole point about economics being, remember we was, it's counterintuitive. Yes. Right? But sometimes what's intuitive in economics doesn't make sense. And I'll give you an example, right? You know, you hear all these people saying, oh, well, you know, it's very, very important for the economy to start saving during the recession last yeah. time. We have to have austerity, Right. But the problem is that if everybody starts saving at the same time, right, it sounds good, right? Because it means that if we look at the economy like a household budget, it means, well, we're all making sure that our household budget is better. But if everyone's saving, nobody's spending. And as your income is always my spending, you don't have any income if I don't spend on you. Your income falls as we all save because nobody's spending. And because saving flows from income, because you don't save out of nowhere. You have to have the income out of which to save. What actually happens is saving in the aggregate falls. So economics is counterintuitive, right? So always put that, I've always said to to students in Trinity, the most important lesson to understand macroeconomics is that it's not intuitive, it's counterintuitive. You've always got to see around corners. Now, think about land. At the moment, when we're talking about the housing market, everyone says, oh, we've got to subsidize land and we've got to give it tax breaks and we've got to, to bring it into use. 
I think the opposite. We've got to make land expensive to bring into use. Therefore, we've got to tax land. We've got to tax unused land. Because yeah. land is an asset. You're going to use it or you don't use it. If you don't use it, it should be penalized because it can only be brought into use. And that's what makes it dramatic. So it seems to me that if we want to really address the housing issue, we've got to get the production side right. Mm-hmm. But the houses can only be plunked on something called land. And we've also got to therefore make land useful, right? Yeah. And if we penalize idle land, then landlords and landowners will be very quick to bring it into use because it's going to cost them money. That's the first thing. The second thing, if you look at the data on inequality in Ireland, and I've always thought inequality, obviously from a moral point of view, is shameful. But from an economic point of view, it's shameful too, because if you have profound wealth inequality in a country, it means that lots and lots of people who could and would normally contribute to the society Poorer people don't because they don't have the access. And the role of land is extraordinary. I'll give you the figures. The wealthiest 10% of households in Ireland own 54% of the wealth. Wealthiest 10% own more than half the, half the wealth in this country. And the top 30% own 85% of the wealth. Wow. And almost all that wealth is land and housing. Yeah. There's very little financial wealth in this country. Mm. That means that 70% of the rest of the people own only 15% of the wealth of the country. This is crazy. Wow. It's massively yeah. unequal. So on the one hand in Ireland, we've done quite well on what's called income inequality. So we tax rich people who earn a lot and we give lots of social welfare to poor people who don't earn any. And that, why, that narrows the gap. But wealth we've done nothing about. And of course, what's central to wealth is land ownership. So in order to either bring land into use to fix the housing problem and to reduce wealth inequalities, we've got to tax land. It's so obvious to me. And it's very, very clear that if you get in a government, the next government and the next one after this, that really figures this out, we will be on our way to creating a much more vibrant economy and a much more equal society if we tax land which is the single most useless resource in the economy if it's not used. And that's where we've got to go. To all you Patreons out there, thank you so much for supporting us. We couldn't do this without your support. It means a huge amount to us. Also, all your feedback, your suggestions, your comments, our comments to you, our replies to you, really is the essence of the whole thing. So again, thank you very much. And for all of you who might want to support us, check us out, patreon.com forward slash David Mike Williams.